Hello, this is Mark Madison. Welcome to Contractor Coffee Club, the podcast presented by EGIA. This podcast is hosted on egia.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGIA snapshot survey. In today's episode, we have the privilege of interviewing James. And James, how do we pronounce your last name? Because I always get that wrong. <laughs> it's, you're not the only one. It is liked her. Like, I liked her very much. I hated her. I, You know, she she broke up with me at the dance in high school, and I haven't liked her since. <laughs> That's right. So, That's me. Liked her. Okay. <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. Uh, how long ago did we meet? We met back in 1927 <laughs> when we were <laughs> – it seems that way, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that was the year think... Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs. I remember that. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Uh, you get to be our age, and the, the years all just sort of meld together. But I think it's been about 25 years now probably. Oh, uh, that's crazy. And I'm pretty sure it was in Atlanta at a Comfort Tech. I believe so, yes. Uh huh. And you were wearing a, an American flag pin, and you looked like you were 12 years old. And I and I thought I said I think I said to you, "What do you have a cocoon in your hot tub? How old are you anyway?" And I you remember that joke. And you still look that way. It's like you're yeah, like Dick really. Clark, the oldest teenager in the country. <laughs> I still wear the American flag pin too every day. Oh, good for you. So so hey, riddle me this, Batman. How did you get started in this business? Well, I uh, let's go back to high school. I sat in my counselor's office, and she said, well, your test scores indicate that you would have an interest in politics, public speaking, science, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't pursue those careers. She reminded me that I had a very low IQ and an even lower GPA and uh, <laughs> said, that I, <laughs> said that I always hope that there was a problem with that test, the IQ test, but uh, very low IQ, um, borderline retarded, that word was used back then, and uh, low GPA, and maybe I should skip college and consider a career in the military or maybe a trade school. So fast forward about a year, I was lucky enough to to get hired under a welfare program called the uh, Job Partnership Training Act. And uh, that's an old program that's not around anymore. But basically what it meant is the government would reimburse an employer 50% of my wage for 2,000 labor hours. And I was hired as an apprentice working for an HVAC plumbing electrical company. And uh, I really loved it. I mean, I, I thought I had the best job in the world, and it reinvigorated my attitude about America and the opportunities, and I put that flag pin on that you mentioned and right. have never taken it off since. I've had a flag pin on my shirt ever since, so unless I'm wearing a T-shirt. I can't get a pin on a T-shirt, but if I've got a collar on, I'm wearing a flag pin, and that's because I realized what an awesome opportunity it was. About four and a half years later, I got my master mechanical license and master pipe fitting license in Kansas and Missouri, and... That's how it all got started. So, James, it's safe to say that you're grateful that you live in America. 
And how does a guy like you end up where you are? And the answer is, God bless America. Absolutely. I mean, Don King said it best, only in America. It, it, you really, this only a country like ours, there's very few countries anyway on this on this planet where you're given so many opportunities. And uh, I'm very thankful for it. Well, you know, we get to do what we love, right? And uh, I used to get in trouble for talking in school. Now I get paid for it. You know, again, God bless this country. So. Well, tell us about your value proposition. What is it you bring to the table for contractors? Why should they hire you? Well, so I like to say that I make my living, my day job, is running a software company called Aptora, and I moonlight as an HVAC speaker and consultant, which is really where my passion is. Uh, Aptora makes software for contractors, but my real love and passion is helping contractors and I wouldn't want to tell anyone this, but I do it for free, but I enjoy getting paid for it. It's nice. What I like to do more than anything in the world is help contractors with everyday issues, starting with how to read financial statements and how to price things properly, and then how to sell correctly at that price. To me, it's all about learning how to read your financial statements, knowing where you are financially. Once you have absorbed that, then you can figure out what it costs to provide what you're providing, which is usually a shock for most contractors. As you know, it costs a whole lot more to produce an hour of labor than anyone would have ever guessed. Right. Didn't go to college, maybe, and study that topic. And then once you absorb that idea that it costs so darn much to provide an hour of labor along with a $50,000 hardware store on wheels, now we've got to figure out how to get it. And that means... Uh, value versus price, right? And a lot of contractors know that you can pay a lot of money for a tool and get a great deal. And you can pay very little for a tool and get ripped off. Contractors know that, but they don't sell like that, right? They go into customers' homes with their heads down oftentimes, and they feel like they're so high priced and they could never get the kind of money they need to get, et cetera. So I like to talk about that value versus price. You know, it's a race to the bottom for a lot of contractors, too. They, and I, I believe that, you know, our industry suffers from a low self-esteem. It's not more money they need. It's a it's a the better view of how they see themselves. So I think we're both I, on the same I mission to, to raise their self-esteem and their self-worth. When in a contractor's growth do they typically contact you? Is it they get to a million, two million? Is there kind of a sweet spot or... I would say that there are two. It's either in the very beginning, people might reach out to me on my website, a couple different websites I have. They might reach out to me and and ask me questions, and they're tiny. They're small companies. They're ma and pa, and uh, they might be a three, four, five-person operation. And then, uh, for whatever reason, I don't hear... I don't hear from them again until maybe they get a lot bigger. So it's usually a tiny company, and I love to help them over the Internet for free as much as I can. And then typically a large company reaches out to somebody like me and you uh, for more advanced type of consulting. Maybe it's to install a certain a certain new product or service, or maybe it's just to uh, fine-tune the operation, or maybe just uh, give the service technicians and maybe the installers um, a motivational speech. But I, I typically hear from the tiny company and the really large ones. You're kind of a coach of money. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe You're so. You're a money coach. Sure. A money money coach, uh, yeah. You know, 
how you keep it. What's the difference between gross and net profit? Right. Yeah, and I think you said it really well. It's a, we have a self-esteem issue more than anything else. If somebody were to ask me to just sum it all up in a sentence, it'd be difficult, but I'd have to include the word self-esteem, low self-esteem. I'd have to include right. those three words because I believe, like you apparently do, that that's the, the root of all evil in our industry. Uh, lawyers don't suffer from it, and that's how they can look you in the face and charge you 300 an hour. Right. And uh, but a contractor somehow thinks they're not worth anywhere near that. Seriously. Right. right. So heating and air conditioning, plumbing, for that matter, is not as valuable as a lawyer. Come on. Right. And they're you know what? I'll tell you, I have lawyer friends. Lawyers are a dime a dozen these days. Contractors right. are begging for employees. They're hiring them before they even graduate from their two year school. Right. Right. And you fire a lawyer, you'll have an opportunity to hire eight tomorrow. Right. Well, and not to disparage attorneys, but my wife was a court reporter for 18 years, and her favorite joke was, what do you call 500 attorneys at the bottom of the ocean? A good start? <laughs> That's right. So, That's right. You know, I mean, God bless them. They're necessary. But, you know, uh, you're exactly right. It's really a function of saying, you know, who am I? What am I worth? Uh, how much do I need to charge for me to make a, you know, a good living in this industry and not feel guilty about it and not feel bad right. that this is, these are the options. And, and you said it, you know, selling value, not price. Right. You have to believe, you can't sell something you don't believe in. And if you don't believe that you're worth that, then you're not. Right. It shows, doesn't it? I mean, it really you, does. If, if you, don't believe in it, you may not realize it, but it shows. The person on the other end of the kitchen table or wherever you're standing or sitting, they see it in your face. Right. In your body language, in your eyes, in the tone of your voice. My favorite my favorite clothes to teach contractors is you slide the agreement across the table and hand them the pen and then you be quiet. I call it the silent right. pen close, right? Right. You let the pen do right. all the talking. Right. Yeah, I agree. If you've done everything correctly, that's all you got to do is ask for the sale. So when I was younger, uh, my close technique didn't exist. What I would do is I'd say, well, Mark, you have my card. And did you have any additional questions? Oh, you don't. Okay, well, thanks for having me over. And I, I walked out. <laughs> and then somebody somebody said to me, why don't you try? They, they, they said, I can tell you're a nice guy and you want to be a nice person. And why don't you try this? I think you can live with this close because a lot of us think a close is a bad thing. Right. He said, just just use the presumptive close. Just say what's better for you Monday or Wednesday and just slide the proposal and the pen over to him. Right. And just do that for me. Can you live with that? And I said, yeah, that I can live with that. And wow, that upped my sales closure rate dramatically because I can't tell you how many people won't surprise you. But it's amazing how many people just sign the darn thing and pick Wednesday. Right. It's called the alternative advance. It's a choice of yeses. Which one, which yes would you like? Right. Yeah, let them <laughs> say no. <laughs> so, so in your opinion, what has contractors up at night? What has them tossing and turning? I think HR, I think human resource things have them up at night. I think that they worry more about people, getting people, hanging on to people, dealing with people, than anything else, because if you think about it, it's pretty easy for most of us. Most people like me, a service technician turned business owner, it's pretty easy to estimate a job, to order the equipment, 
to get all that arranged. What's really difficult is dealing with people, people that we don't seem to have a lot of leverage over. We can't really threaten them like the good old days, you know, when you could threaten somebody and they worried about their job. I think it's the people that are keeping the, them up at night. There's a lot more to AHR than, than I ever realized. And I think that's the big problem with our industry. And no offense to anybody listening, but there's, there's not really a shortage of technicians. There's just too many owners. There's owners that really should have never been owners. Right. And, and it's easy to take offense to that, but I think many of our listeners are shaking their head. Yes, this guy's right. Um, if we didn't have so many owners, we'd have more good employees. But if I may stretch this a little bit, here's how they become owners. We don't, we don't make it apparent to our employees that it's really difficult to be an HVAC plumbing contractor. So they see all the money coming in. They never see any money coming out. We keep them in the dark. And they think it's really easy to run a company. So the minute they're mad at us, they start right. thinking, I want to be self-employed. They charge 125. Yeah. 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 They, they charge 125. They pay me 25. This guy's filthy, stinking rich, and he's doing it off my back. And they quit. And then they start their own company. And they shouldn't have. They should have stayed with us. So right. what I would advocate is, is we teach them the money, show them how to read an income statement. The more they know about your finances, the more they'll feel sorry for you. Right. This guy isn't making any money for crying out loud. Yes. I had people say to me, James, why, why do you do it? <laughs> and I, I sometimes answered, I don't know. Right. Well, what you're describing comes right out of the e-myth by Michael Gerber. You know, the, the guy says, oh, I can do this, and he starts a company. Yeah, but you, back to your point about too many, uh, too many rusty trucks, right? That's right. That's what I call the That's guy, right. the one or two-man shop whose truck has all the stuff on the dashboard from, from you know, uh, stuffed animals to invoices, that guy. Right. We've all seen right. him. And that, yeah, oh, yeah, and and by the way, as a side note, he does not look like he deserves one twenty-five an hour. By the way, <laughs> that's true. That's why I call him Rusty Truck. You know, it's like yeah, okay. yeah. And the, the previews are a pretty good indication of what the movie's going to be like. That's right. I like that. That's a good metaphor. It really is. Well, it was the clothes that I used. I would literally say I always had really nice binders and with pictures, and mine were always very elaborate and. They would say, wow, this is some proposal. And I'd say, well, if you like the previews, you'll love the movie. That's good. Yes, I'm just like a sales it. guy. Wait till our technicians get here. They're amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm just former like buyer. You know? Yeah, right. It's like, uh. <laughs> well, yeah. as you as you grew your business and as you grew up in this industry, I love the fact that you started as a technician. Because so did I. So, you know, we've got those humble roots, right? And, uh, right. I think it was Chichi Rodriguez. He, he was uh, on the seniors tour in golf, and he he had a like he shot like a 65 one day when he was 65 years old. And the quarter said, "Chichi, you know that was amazing. Your touch around the greens." He said, "How do you explain that today?" He thought about the question. He said, well, "Maybe it's because I mowed him for so long." <laughs> I like that. You know, he got a job when he was 12 mowing golf courses. So uh, you know, we we have that that background and that experience. Who are some of your mentors? 
over the last 20, 25 years, guys who, you know, helped kind of took you under their wing and taught you the business and people you looked up to in our industry? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't have too many people that, that I worked with that became my mentor. I had more like heroes in the industry. My very first hero was Doc Rusk. Yeah, I remember him. And, and Doc, yeah, you got to be got to be about our age to remember Doc Rusk. But Doc Rusk, I met him at a at a seminar and walked up to him and talked to him and he gave me his home phone number and said, "If you ever need anything, just call me." And I didn't believe it was really a home phone number, right? So right. later on, I call this number and this nice lady answers the phone and I went, "Uh um is I'm this is James's doc there. And she goes, Oh doc. Yeah. Hang on just a minute. And I hear honey telephone. <laughs> Hello. I said, is this Mr. Rusk? This is doc. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He took my call. So anyway, he was my first mentor. I could actually call him at home and he would give me straight answers to straight questions. Um, another person that really helped me a lot was Ooh, our territory. Was yeah. he really a doctor? Oh no. That was just his not nickname. Doc. That was his brand. Yeah. Yep. Look, I still have his binder on my shelf from all those years ago. Oh, that's funny. All those years ago, I still have his binder. Yeah, I remember but, him. Uh, I remember reading articles about him in trade magazines. I saw him speak once. He was good. He was he was my first. Yep. And and I should mention before him, when I was an apprentice, a territory salesperson who since passed. He was really the first person that took an interest in me. He could tell I was really intense. And he would bring me study guides and coursework that Carrier had produced. And I'd take those back to my apartment and I'd study them. And the next time I saw him, I'd tell him I was finished with him. And he'd give me more and more and more. And uh, I really appreciated that. So he was actually first. Doc Rusk would have been second. And there were other people, other seminar people that I came across that I think were a big influence on me in the industry. But also, in addition to that, I, I had positive influences, heroes outside the industry, people I looked, to, looked up to growing up, uh, like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and uh, other people that aren't in the HVAC industry, but they influenced me and motivated me a great deal. I think, by the way, Mark, I think it's really important for heat and air conditioning people to have influences outside of the industry because we tend to think that we're really unique. Well, that won't work in a heating and air conditioning world. Uh, that might be fine for a car wash, but that would never work here. But you know what? It's all business. It's, right. it's just business. We sell two things. We sell labor and we sell inventory. And, ha and we have that in common with so many other companies right. who sell labor and they sell inventory. So I think that we're really missing the boat if we don't consider other industry people our mentors or hero figures. Absolutely. I do work in the insurance business, and Aflac is one of my clients. And I had a, I was talking to 400 salespeople from Aflac, and I, I had the number one guy stand up. And I said, why are you the top producer in Wisconsin? You know, what is it you're doing? Uh, he said three things. He said, I make 40 calls a day. I quack loudly every day, and I offer my clients a choice of yeses. And I thought, hmm. wow. And then I said, well, I hope everybody heard what he just said, because you know what? That's profound. I don't care what you sell. 
If you make 40 calls a day, you're going to be wildly successful. So pick a number, right, and make that number of calls every day. Number two, you better be proud of where you work and what you do. If you don't love the industry, if you're not proud of your company and yourself and the industry, you're not going to be able to transfer that belief to somebody else. And last but not least, the choice of yeses. You know, which you said it earlier, Monday or Wednesday, which one's better for you? Right. So that, and I think, that had you know, to do with air conditioning. That had to do with, you know, the, the process of sales. Right, right. And that choice of yeses, um, we, can't, we can't forget, it isn't a choice of yes necessarily for are you going to take the unit A or are you going to take it unit B. You work up to that with yeses, right? Get them in the habit of saying yes. Yes. Do you think it'd be valuable if we blah, blah, blah? Yes, I, I do. Would you rather have this one or that one, this one? So you're right. getting them in the habit of saying yes, right? Uh, that comes all the way back to Dale Carnegie's work from How to Win Friends and Influence People. He said, if you get somebody saying yes three times, they're going to say yes, yes a fourth time. Well, there you go. So you've already mentioned two books that I've read that have influenced me without me knowing it. Right. Because right. we're not inventing anything new. Everything nope. I say to people, I don't think I invented any of it, really. And so I thought never had an original I heard thought. it. No, I haven't had an original thought in my life. But, you know, a lot of us, we forget we forget where we've heard it. Right. So we made maybe we don't give credit where credit's due. But but, right. yeah, that's how to win friends and influence people is an old book, but it's a must read. And the E-Myth is a must read. But get them in the habit of saying yes. It's kind of like dating. I think contractors have to realize that it's not unlike dating. It, you 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 work up to that big yes moment. Oh, it's absolutely true. I you know, uh, there's uh, with dating, right? With, there's hundreds of suspects, half a dozen prospects, one client. Right? If I give you yeah. this ring, would you marry me? And she says, "Let me see the ring." Okay. <laughs> Right. That's the same process. Right. So it's no different. So that was a nice segue. So tell me about some more books that have had an impact on you. You mentioned the myth and and how to win friends. What else? Well, I think there's another book probably no one's ever heard of, and it's called Scaling Up. It's Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, Scaling Up. Uh, John D. Rockefeller was a hero of mine. And I loved reading about him when I was a kid. Thomas Edison was another one. Um, and I, what I was really interested in, what were their study habits? How did they do things? How did they organize themselves? And Ben Franklin, another one, another hero. But getting back to uh, mastering the Rockefeller habits, scaling up, it's a, if you Google it, people can find it. It's a pretty complicated book. It's only, it's only like, uh, I don't know, 225 pages. But it takes a while to get through those 225 pages. The nice thing about that book, Mark, is that it's A to B, C to D. It's a step-by-step process of organizing yourself and creating goals and things like that. A new book that I've been reading is The Power of Consistency. And I have to say I'm only about half done. But the, the book, Power of Consistency, is written by Weldon Long. And he is an EGIA staff member. You and I know him well. And his, the title caught me, actually, because I'm a firm believer that consistency wins out at the end of the day. Consistency. And so the power of consistency, the title just got me. So I had right. to go buy the book. I was going to ask, 
Weldon for a free copy, but I knew that he needed the sales numbers, right? So I went ahead and just ordered it online. Yeah, you're a good man. I'm going to have to get that autographed at some point. But uh, that's a good book because consistency is, is very important. So I would read those two books. I'd get The Power of Consistency, probably start with it. It's a shorter read. And when you're really when you're really ready to do some homework, I would consider mastering the Rockefeller habit, scaling up. I agree. Both of Weldon's books are amazing. I actually had a, a gentleman call me yesterday who just got out of prison, and he read my book, Freedom from Fear, and he called and he had some questions. And I told him to get Weldon's first book because I said it'd really resonate with him. You know, he, he was looking to change his life. And I said, well, here's one guy that <laughs> dramatically changed his life. Well, that, that's a nice yeah. segue in, into uh, the next question. And that is what specifically, I mean, we're all part of the EGIA faculty. What is it you do? What is it you bring uh, to the table? What are your offerings with EGIA? Not much. I don't know what I bring to EGIA. <laughs> <laughs> I th- An American I think, flag. Here's the, here's the problem with being with EGIA is yeah, when I'm in a room with normal people, I'm a rock star. When I'm in a room with EGIA people, I'm a peon. So I have to stand up next to people like you and Gary Ellix and Weldon and Drew Cameron and others. And uh, I don't know what I bring. I mean, what do I bring that those guys don't already do better? But I think if I if I had to say, I relate very well to the technician term business owner, to the person that's a little bit scared every day and just isn't sure what to do, doesn't know if he wants to grow the company or not grow the company, and just a little overwhelmed with all the business processes that have to be mastered. I like to help people grow from working in the company to working on it. That came from E-Myth, right? So I like to help them make that transition from work doing everything themselves to hiring managers to run things and oversee things so they can do what they want to do. And some, some want to work in the field, which is totally fine. As long as there's some, as long as somebody is really minding the shop, right? Right. And maybe some of them want to run the office and just need to learn how. I like to see people make that transition uh, to the next step where they're working on it, not in it. And and then they get to the place where they can take three weeks off and, you know, in the summer and three weeks off in the winter and go to Cabo or Hawaii or Aruba. And the contractors that do that, they'll tell you that when, once they've mastered the systems, they tell you that when they're gone, they make more money than when they're there. Well, that's a fact. I mean, I think that uh, in many cases, my businesses, and I'm involved in four different companies, uh, they oftentimes do better when I'm traveling, when I'm on the road. <laughs> and I know I do better because I can think about the company differently than when I'm inside the company getting beat up. Right. Yeah, because you have some perspective and some distance. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the most important thing that I'd like to say to contractors is this. You've got to understand the money. You've, if you look at rich people, they have mastered the money or they've mastered sales or they've mastered both. So it, you have to master both, really, if you want to be super successful. But you've got to at least manage to master one or the other. I love helping technician term business owners master the money because I would submit to all of you that the brain that you use to read your gauges 
and look at your thermometers and look at the volts and the amps and pressures and temperatures and airflow, and you're making these calculations in your head, and you've discovered that this system has air in it. There must be air in this system. And someone might look at you and say, how would you know that? And you'd have a hard time explaining it, but you know it. You know there's air in that system. Same way with financials. You can look at your income statement, your balance sheet, your cash flow, look at the numbers and start processing that using the same part of your head, and you'll make stunning predictions about the future. And they need to be made because that can save your life. Knowing these things before they happen can save your life. And But many contractors think, I'll never learn any of that. But that's the same part of their brain that's running those service calls so successfully. Right. If they learn the Delta T, right, they can learn the difference between indirect costs and direct costs. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, a technician, this gets down to the low self-esteem thing. A technician, a good technician, I think, underestimates just how damn smart they are. Right. Because maybe they were like me that had like a 1.7 GPA and an 88 IQ or whatever. They think, well, you know, I'm not that smart. I managed to figure out how to fix air conditioning, but anybody can do that. Not a chance. Right. Try to teach your CPA how to fix air conditioning. That's complicated stuff. And most heating and air conditioning people are pretty decent plumbers. They're pretty decent carpenters. They're pretty decent welders. They're yep. pretty real. They're really good at electrical and they understand pressures and temperatures and how they relate to each other. So they are pretty decent with the chemistry part. Right. So there's right. a lot of skill there. If that person has all that skill, they can certainly learn what contribution margin is and why it's important. Or what unapplied costs mean and where they go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an important one. When, once you figure out all the unapplied costs you have and the unbillable time you have, you quickly realize why well, you need to charge 200 some dollars an hour. Right. I have a friend who's been a CEO for years here in Seattle. He's retired now, but he said, I could look at a, a balance sheet and uh, I can tell you what's wrong with the company. And I said, how would you know that? He said, well, I've just been doing it a long time. He can look at look, literally look at someone's financials and tell you, you know, you, you need a new service manager. You need, <laughs> right? You need right. to get, you need to get rid of your office manager. She's embezzling money. I mean, this is the guy who was like a forensic scientist when it came to money. But but he, yeah. he said it all translates to people too. And if you, once you understand how to do that, he said it, it changes the way you look at your business. So I can I can walk by a condensing unit and tell you pretty quickly if it's overcharged or if the coils are dirty. I can just walk by it and tell you that. And I can't prove it, I, but you could test me and I could show you how I could do it. But just something in my ear knows it. I could right. look at your balance sheet, walk into your business, walk through the warehouse and know if that balance sheet was correct. I could just tell. I could feel it. And it's, if it thought it was correct, yeah. I could start diagnosing your company's problems just by walking around, looking around and looking at that balance sheet. So I can relate to that. Uh, that's amazing. So here's my next question. Are you ever going to write a book? I am going to write a book. Yes. I knew it. I dare you to. <laughs> look, look, I don't care. I, you had a 1.7. I had a 1.8 GPA, a solid 1.8, but, you know, a 1.8. Oh, <laughs> well, I look up to you. <laughs> right? But if I you were one of those it, smart people. 
right? I mean, if I can write five books and 11 ebooks, you can. Good grief. Yes. Yeah, I know. I, I really need to. I have a couple of working titles in mind. Well, it starts with that title, and it starts with a subtitle, and it's chapters. Uh, when we get a, when we go off microphone here, I'll I'll send you some stuff that'll help you get started because it's like, come on, you you have, in my opinion, you have a responsibility. You have so much specialized knowledge that these guys need to hear and to read and to listen to. So, uh, you know, once you get your book written, then we'll get it on audio and we'll put it up on audible.com. And because the contractors aren't going to read the book, but they'll listen to the audio program. Right. Yeah. I had to learn that the hard way. You know, their wives would buy the book and then read it. And then they'd tell, tell their husband to read it and then he wouldn't read it. So, but then he'd say, well, you have the audio cassette. That's how old I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got the cassette. Absolutely. Here you go. You know, yeah. now, then it was CDs. Now it's audible. So. I had all these millennials bugging me for the longest time. When are you going to load your stuff on Audible? I said, fine, quit bugging me. So now they're up there. So if I can, you can. That's all I'm saying. I know. I need to do it. I need to do it. I think it would be a lot of fun. I certainly write a lot anyway, right? Right. So right. I might as well put that energy into a book. Yeah, I wrote my last ebook in six hours. Wow. 80, page, 80 pages. Yeah, because, but that was my 11th one. So you know, you get better with each with each uh, blush, if you will. So, so right. let me ask you this: What one piece of advice would you offer contractors if they only needed to know one thing? And I think of that Billy Crystal movie, right, where Jack Palance says, "Just one thing you need to know, just one thing." And Billy says, well, "What is that?" He goes, "That's your job to find out what that one thing is." <laughs> right? Made it. So, what's made the it hard thing? on him? Well, you have to understand your financials. You have to master your financials, period. That's the one thing. Now, keep in mind, it's really tough to say one thing because there's five or ten easily, right? But if you told me one thing, you have to master your financials. You've got to understand how money flows in and out of your company and everything in between. I'll give you a metaphor. You had a great metaphor earlier. Here's one. You're a service technician, and I take away your gauges, and I take away your voltmeter and your AM probe and your thermometers, and I say to you, run service without those, and be, and be sure to do a darn good job and treat the customer well. Hmm. You would object to that, certainly. You would say, how am I supposed to run service not knowing volts, amps, pressures, temperatures, et cetera? Well, Many of our friends in this industry, Mark, are doing just that. They're running their business without a set of gauges connected. And what am I talking about? Of course, I'm talking about an income statement, a balance sheet, and a cash flow statement. You should have one of those on your desk on the 10th day following each month. Don't get them from your accountant at the end of the year, some outside accountant that doesn't know anything about our business. You are your company's chief financial officer. If you don't have one, then you're the CFO. All of you are CFOs. And you may not be a very good one, but your company has to have a CFO. So that is one of your jobs, CFO. You have to start becoming a CFO immediately. You've got to understand the numbers. Oh, that's powerful advice and absolutely true. Well, do you have any questions for me? I'm I'm asking all the questions here. What? Uh, well, I would you ask questions? you. I would ask you the same questions. So, if you could only give someone thirty seconds of advice, 
which is roughly my attention span. What advice would you give me seconds? You'll well, never we'll see have, him again. Okay. We'll go back to Ben Franklin, right? One of your heroes, one of my heroes. I read his autobiography, I think, when I was 24 years old. He said, take a coin out of your purse and put it in your head, and it will come flowing out of your head and overflow your purse. Invest in training and education for yourself, for your company, for your family. I read two books a week. I listen to a couple of audio programs a month. I fill up four journals a year. I'm one of the more serious students you're likely to come across. I took that lesson to heart in 1982, and it's changed not just my life, but my bank account and my lifestyle, everything. And to me, at the heart, at the heart of what makes EGIA tick is training and education. And, and you know, there's a there's lots of different choices in this industry, but I, you said it earlier. By the way, I think you're the sixth man off the bench. That's what I think. But, and <laughs> a lot of six men get uh, MVPs, like my friend Jamal Crawford. So, you know, he's, right. he's amazing, and you're like Jamal Crawford. So that's it. I mean, here's this amazing group of people that have all this, all these insights. And so that might be a nice segue into, into Lucas. Lucas, do you have something for us? Thanks, Mark. Since James mentioned financials, financial structure is actually one of the 10 core curriculum areas of EGIA Contractor University. EGIA Plus and Premium members have access to a plethora of in-person workshops, introductory online courses, and more intensive online training resources focused on 10 subjects key to contractors, in-home sales, customer service, financial structures, and seven others. They can take you from layman to expert in no time with progress quizzes along the way to ensure your full comprehension of every vital concept before moving on to the next segment. It's the most proven, effective, and affordable way to successfully scale your business. Learn more and view some of the sample templates, videos, and other learning materials at egia.org university. Lucas, thank you. So, James, uh, let me reiterate how grateful we are that you took the time out of your busy schedule to, to spend some time with us today. Any closing thoughts? Well, look, I, I appreciate being here. Whenever I have an opportunity to do something like this, I typically start off, you know, they say, how are you today, James? Oh, I'm great. I'm really, really great, and I'm excited to be here. People have no idea how excited I am to be here. When you graduate from high school, barely like I did, and apparently like you did, I thought you went to Harvard, by the way. I mean, <laughs> when, you, when you have a background like I do, and people call you and say, we'd like to interview you. What an honor that is. I mean, what an absolute honor. I don't take that for granted for a second. So I'm thrilled to be on here, and I'm really happy that there are contractors out there listening to us. And I just want to tell them, you heat and air conditioning people especially, heat and air conditioning, plumbing, electrical, you are among the most important people in America. You are among the most employable people in America. A heat and air conditioning person loses their job today. They'll have a job next week for sure. What other industry can say that? We right. should hold our heads up high, charge plenty. As long as we're doing really good work, charge plenty for it. And by the way, a 15% net profit is nothing to apologize over, right? Right, right. We should charge plenty and not apologize for it. Be proud of ourselves. Cue the national anthem. Man, that was great. Thank you so much, James. And, you know, my, my closing thought to you is this. Not only are you, you know, gifted when it comes to numbers and, and the financial aspects of this business, but you're one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And, you know, there's a shortage of nice guys, so I'm proud to call you my friend. Well, thank you for that. I owe that to my mother. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, uh, that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egia.org slash podcast to find this episode, an archive of previous episodes, the online form to submit your questions to our mailbag segment, and links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google Play app, and a link to the latest EGIA snapshot survey. For more information about EGIA membership, visit www.egia.org.join. I'm Mark Madison, and thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. I'll see you next time.